Well, welcome to the Crossing. So good to see you today. We did have a fantastic day yesterday as we had about 1,200 of us from the Crossing going and serving our valley and just a great, great um, example of just being the hands and feet of Jesus. Also, like to welcome those who are at the Southeast Campus, those watching online and our microsites. Can we give them a big hand right now? Glad that you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, this is Veterans Day weekend. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and one of the things that we do here at the Crossing is we always want to honor our veterans and our active service military, and so we want to do that right now. And so if you are a veteran or active duty military, would you stand up right now so we can honor you? Fantastic. It is an honor to not only have you here, but we're grateful for just the freedom that you've allowed our country to have. So thank you very much. Well, a few years ago, I met this guy out in the lobby, and he asked me my view on a theological issue. And so I gave him my opinion, and as I'm talking to him, I could tell by his body language he did not like my answer. And so I just responded to him. I said, that's my opinion. I go, you may have a different opinion. I said, people at this church have different opinions. Christians have different opinions on this. I said, but here's the great thing. We can all come together and we can worship together. And he said, well, I may worship at this place, but I will never trust another word you say. So I said to him, I go, you may need to find another church. This may not be the best place for you. He goes, no, I can stay at this church. I just now know that you're a heretic. Well, I've never been called a heretic before. So I told Scott Whaley, don't ever call me that again. (laughs) No matter who you are, you face criticism. No matter who you are. Maybe your mother-in-law doesn't like the way that you raise your kids, and she lets you know it. Maybe your parents don't ever let you get past those mistakes and you don't feel like you can ever quite start over. Maybe your friends don't understand why you are still single or your friends don't understand why you are still married. All of us deal with criticism and opposition. Last week, we began this series called Hope Rising. And here's the idea is that God has some rebuilding to do in our lives. That God wants to rebuild in you, and God has a vision for what it could be. God has a vision for your life and where you could be. And here's what we talked about last week, is that when you recognize your brokenness, the rebuilding can begin. When you recognize your brokenness, the rebuilding can begin. That when you get honest about your brokenness in your life and decide to finally do something about it, hope can begin to emerge out of your story. Well, here's the truth of today, is that when you start rebuilding, you will face opposition. In fact, God promises to be with you in the building building process, but he does not promise that it's going to be easy. He does not promise that you won't face opposition. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. In this series, we're just walking through this fantastic book of the Old Testament because there's so many lessons for us to learn, such huge application for us. And before Nehemiah was written, years before this, 
The children of Israel had turned their back on God. This was a pattern that they went through, and they turned their back on God. And so God allowed them to be conquered and taken into captivity for years. And after 70 years of captivity, some of the Jews started coming back to Jerusalem. And the city was in ruins. The walls were destroyed, which meant there was no protection. And in today's story, there are two main characters that I want you to know about. Character number one is Nehemiah. He is the hero of our story. Now, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, this is an important job. Because as the cupbearer, he would taste the king's food and taste the king's wine before the king did to make sure that it was safe. Well, Nehemiah had got word about the destruction of Jerusalem, about how these walls had never been rebuilt. And his heart was broken. And he wanted to do something about it. So in 444 B.C., this is not once upon a time. This actually happened in history. In 444, he went to King Artaxerxes, and he asked for permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And King Artaxerxes not only gives him permission, he makes him the governor governor of of Jerusalem and gives them all of the supplies and money that they need to do the rebuilding. And so Nehemiah goes to the people, and he casts this vision to rebuild the wall. And they begin the rebuilding process... But then as they begin to do it, there are threats that come from the outside because the leaders in the surrounding areas do not want them to rebuild the wall, which brings us to our second main character. His name is Sanballat. Now, I don't know if you've ever known somebody by the name of Sanballat before. I'm expecting my first grandson, and this might be a name for them. You know, they won't tell us what they're going to name it, so this might be on the short list. But Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, which is just north of Israel. And he had an interest in them not rebuilding the wall. Because if they don't rebuild the wall, they can't protect themselves, which means that he and Samaria, they can control the Israelites. They can kind of have their thumb over them and make sure that they can control everything that they do. Well, we're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, where it says this. It says, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. Do you have any negative people in your life? Do you have any people who just, no matter what you do, they just have something negative to say? Because negativity has the potential to rob you of your hope and your joy. Sanballat comes along and he says, will they restore their wall? I mean, these aren't builders. They don't build for a living. They can't do it. Will they finish in a day? Because if they can't finish in a day, then they're going to give up before it's done. Can they bring these stones back to life? Because This is the impossible. There's so much destruction, they can't do it. And then Tobiah comes along and he says, these walls aren't even strong enough for a fox to walk on. 
Have you ever noticed that critics just run with critics? They just like being around each other. An important question that we need to ask is what voices am I going to listen to? What voices am I going to listen to? Because we all face criticism. All of us are in a place where we face criticism and what we tend to do is we tend to discount compliments and obsess over insults. John Acuff, who is an author and a speaker, he says this is how this equation works. A thousand compliments plus one criticism equals one criticism. I don't know if this is true in your life. I'll bet it is. It's true in my life. It doesn't matter how many compliments I get. When I get a criticism, that's what I obsess over. That's all I can think about is that criticism. And as much as I hate to admit it, I I wish I were different than this. I wish this wasn't the case, that whenever I'm criticized, I start second-guessing myself. And I start thinking, well, maybe they're right. And those negative voices can go deeper in me than the ones encouraging me to be my best self. Because haters get loud when you do something that matters. Well, Nehemiah prays this brutally honest prayer to God, which I think is just a great example for us of the kinds of prayers that God is okay with. And when he's done praying, he says this in verse 6. He says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Now, I love this phrase right here, that the people worked with all their heart. Because there is something powerful that happens when we come together and we work at something with all our heart. Because God can begin to use that. God can begin to use us, but they're halfway through the rebuilding process of the wall. And this is the most critical time of the rebuilding process. Because whatever challenges that you're facing, this is when you are most vulnerable to quit and to give up. Because when you first start, you're all fired up. I mean, you're all excited about it. Everyone is cheering you on. And when you're almost done, you can see the finish line in sight. It's not far away, so it brings energy. But halfway, this is when you are vulnerable to quit. The Las Vegas Marathon is today. And we all know this term, hitting the wall. That when you are running a marathon, halfway through the race, you will hit the wall and want to quit. So I've heard. You know, this is what people tell me. And runners, they don't train to avoid the wall. They train to run through the wall. They train to get through it. And when you are at the halfway point of the, re- the rebuilding process, it is not easy. It just becomes this drudgery. The joy of the finish line is not in sight. And this is when your vulnerability is at its worst, your vulnerability to quit. 1 verse 7 says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard about the repairs to Jerusalem's walls, had gone ahead, and, had the, and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. I want you to understand what's going on here. I want you to understand that what's, what's going on around here. So I want to show you this map. This map right here, we see Judah. This is the land of Israel. Jerusalem is right here. Now, Sanballat is up here. He's the governor of Samaria. And Samaria is against Jerusalem rebuilding their walls. The 
Ammonites who live over here. This is where Tobiah lives. They're against Jerusalem rebuilding their walls. Edom is down here. This is the Arabs. They're called the Edomites. They don't want Jerusalem to rebuild their walls. And then you have Ashdod over here on the west, and they don't want them to rebuild their walls. You have these haters all the way around who don't want them to rebuild their walls because it's best if they can just kind of keep their control on the Israelites and on Jerusalem. Well, this next verse, it goes on, and it says, says this. We can pull that out. So, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Now, to understand this, this phrase right here in Hebrew actually rhymes. This is actually, in the original language, this is a jingle that they begin to chant that would rhyme together. And so, since in English it doesn't quite come together in the same way that it does for us, I've kind of written maybe how this would sound. We cannot build this stupid wall. We cannot build this wall at all. We cannot build it with some bricks. We cannot build it with some sticks. If we keep trying, we will die. So go away, Nehemiah. Uh, I, I couldn't make that last syllable work there. The discouragement is just setting in at this point. See, before they had the opposition from without, they think they're going to get attacked. Now it's the opposition within. They're just discouraged. They just want to give up. They don't know what to do. Verse 11 says, Also our enemies says, Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. See, it's one thing to face opposition. Now they're getting death threats as they're facing it. The next verse, verse 12, it says, Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Hey, Nehemiah. Wherever you turn, they're going to attack us. Do you ever feel like negative people just like being negative? I mean, they just get joy in being negative. They just like to be that person. Well, you can't do it. You're not going to be able to make it. And they get a kick out of saying, you know, this is going to fail. It's not going to work. They did this ten times. I would think about the ninth time Nehemiah would have had it, saying you're never going to make it. This is never going to work. It's never going to work. Are you ready to quit yet, Nehemiah? Because it just comes over and over. Because this is what negativity does to us. Well, verse 14 says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. It's an amazing picture because half of the men are building the wall, half of the people are building the wall, and the other half are standing guard. Half are, are able to do all the work and see this, and the other half are just standing and watching. It is not a glamorous task. Perseverance is not a glamorous assignment. Almost 50 years ago, something remarkable happened. Human beings landed on the moon. 
And there was a couple guys who walked on the moon and they became famous. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. You remember Neil Armstrong's statement, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind? Well, there was a third guy who went to the moon in that capsule. Does anybody remember his name? His name was Mike Collins. Hardly anybody remembers Mike Collins. Why? Because he never walked on the moon. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, they get fame and glamour, but Mike Collins goes all the way to the moon and he never gets out. But there's a couple guys who are glad that Michael Collins never stepped on the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Because he took the position to make sure that they were protected and they were safe. See, the kingdom of God is not about the glamorous positions. The kingdom of God is not about the glamorous things. It's about being faithful to the task that God has called you to. And it's with deep humility that you stay where God has you. You just stay there. So how do you move forward in the face of opposition? It's very simple. It's very simple. You pray and you take action. You pray and you do something. I just skimmed over this verse, but this really is the verse that I think this whole chapter hangs on. It's verse 9 where he says, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. That we prayed to our God, we prayed to God to do something, and then we did something about it. We posted a guard. We took action. We revised the plan. See, this is what we do in the midst of opposition. That when Nehemiah had a vision to rebuild this wall, the opposition was not part of the plan. I don't think Nehemiah envisioned that they would face this kind of opposition. So he prayed, and then he revised the plan. See, the vision stayed the same. We're going to rebuild the wall. But the plan, it changed. It changed. They adjusted to it. They prayed, and they took action. They did something. What do you need to do in the face of opposition? What do you, what do, you do when you're rebuilding your life? And it doesn't go as you planned for it to go. You pray. And then you do something. You revise the plan. You take action. If you're a teenager right now and you're struggling, maybe you're struggling at a home, maybe you're struggling with, with your school, maybe you're struggling with some friends, you pray and then you ask for help. If you just lost your job, pray and then go put together your resume. If your marriage is struggling, you pray, and you go to counseling. You take steps to repair your relationship. If someone is criticizing your relationship with God, you pray, and then make sure you're being obedient to God. When you decide to make some changes in your life, about halfway through, you're going to be tempted to quit because it just seems too hard. You're going to get to that point, and you're just going to want to just throw in the towel. So when do you quit doing a work for the Lord? The answer is when it is finished. Not when it's hard. Not when it's painful. Not when it's costly. Not when somebody resists. Not when you're tired. But when it's finished. One of the words that we love is the word easy. You know, Staples has a whole commercial around this. You know, it's just the easy button. You know, you just push the easy button. 
Because I want life to be easy. I want being a dad to be easy. I want an easy marriage. You know, I want working at a church to be easy. I want everybody just to get along. I want it to be easy. But God never called us to the easy task. As Christians, we're called to do hard things. And following Jesus is not about the easy path. It can be hard. And halfway through, you're tempted to quit. You're tempted just to stop. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says this, he goes, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Or other translations says we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that sufferings produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says we rejoice in our sufferings and we think, what? What? Because sufferings is a good thing? Not at all. We live in a culture where the goal is suffering avoidance. That people do everything that they can do to avoid any kind of suffering. We rejoice we rejoice in our sufferings because it produces perseverance. And your perseverance, it produces character. And your character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. We pray and take action. We pray and we do something. We pray and we move forward and take that next step. So I wanted to ask you two questions. I want us to ask you two questions. Here's question number one. What do you need God to do? Where do you need God to show up? Maybe you're desperate for God to do something. This is when you pray. When you're at this place where you need God to intervene, you pray. God wants you to ask. I talk to people who go, I don't pray because I don't want to bother God. And I'm like, what? I mean, do you have this view of like God's on Netflix right now? It's like, don't bother me. I'm watching Stranger Things, you know. I'll get to you in a little bit. God wants you to come to him. He wants you to ask. He says to throw all of your cares on him because he cares for you. There is this awesome picture in Revelation chapter 8. It's a picture of heaven. And there are songs that are being sung around the throne of God. All of God's people and the angels and everybody around the throne is singing songs to heaven. And then all of a sudden, heaven goes silent. Because the prayers of God's people are rising. So think about this. All of heaven stops so your prayers and my prayers can rise before God. He listens he cares, and he acts upon your requests that you pray. Some of you need to start this practice of praying and saying, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to pray and not give up. One of the practices of my life is I pray through Scripture. Sometimes I'll do this when I don't know what else to pray. I'll just pray through Scripture. Darla and I, we pray for the armor of God over our kids. 
The passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says to put on the whole armor of God. We pray this over our kids, that God would protect them, that God would give them the courage to move forward. I pray the promises of Scripture. I'll read through the Psalms and I'll see these promises of God, and I will just pray through these promises in Scripture. What do you need God to do? But here's the second question. What does God need you to do? Absolutely, we start off by praying. This is where we start. But then we take this next step. What does God need you to do? Where do you need to take the next step? Where is God nudging you and saying, it's time to move forward? It's time to do something. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus performed all of these miracles, and many times he just did it out of the compassion of his heart. He would heal people, sometimes without even being asked, just his compassion towards them, he would heal them. But there was other times that he wanted them to take a step of faith. When Jesus turned the water into wine, he told the servants, I want you to go fill the wa- these jars full of water. These are jars that could could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Don't you think as they started walking off, they're going, now why are we filling these full of water? But when they did, Jesus turned it into wine. There was a blind man that came to Jesus. And Jesus puts mud on his eyes. And then he says, I want you to go and wash the mud out. You take a step. Jesus told a man who had been disabled for 38 years. He says, pick up your mat and walk. He healed 10 men who had leprosy, and he told them to go show themselves to the priest. And they were not healed until on the way, until they were on their way to go show. Because Jesus wanted them to take a step of faith. See, for some of you, you stand up and you go, well, somebody ought to do something. And God is saying, yes, you should. That you pray. And now you do what God has called you to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you right now. Because some of you, you are facing opposition right now. Some of you are facing discouragement in your life. And you're ready to quit. Maybe you have criticism that's coming your way. And you don't even know how to respond but you're here, and you're taking the next step. You pray, and you take the next step. You pray, and you move towards where God is nudging you in your life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this story, for preserving this story for us that gives us so much hope that we are not the first ones who have faced opposition, and criticism. And you've just shown how your hand is with us. And so, God, today we're praying. We're asking for you to intervene, to show up. And, God, we're praying for courage to take that next step. God, there are some in this room right now that the step for them is to finally receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That for them, they've just been hesitant, scared, 
And today may be the day for them finally to take a step towards Jesus and to finally surrender their heart to him. God, I pray that you would meet every person here right where they are. We thank you for Jesus, the price that was paid for our life. And we pray this in his name. Amen.